0: Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith.
1: Well, no matter how many times I interview people, I am always inspired by every single human being that I have on the show. They are all so unique and they all are doing such wonderful things in the world. It just brings me so much joy and so much hope. Well, Tom Rose is back. Tom Rose, if you remember, is 82 years young. He wrote a book recently about his journey through grief after his uh, beloved wife passed away. It's called Balloon in a Box. He also has a a video series that he does with his son and granddaughter called Cooking Together Generations. And they cook in his house, and it's fantastic. Well, if that's not enough, as I mentioned, at 82 years of age, he decided to write his first novel. And it's a mystery. Who done it? It's called The Secret is in the Pasta. How perfect for someone who loves to cook and write as well. So our interview is one that will bring you a lot of inspiration. This man has the energy of a teenager. Incredible. And also, Armando Camina is here. He started a beautiful organization for kids that was inspired uh, on a balcony one day when he asked the universe, God, what it is he should do. And he came up with Hope, Faith, and Dreams. Gonna tell you all about that as well. Good news stories at the end too, all brought to you by our wonderful friends at Balance of Nature, Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. That inspires me also nutritionally. So keeps me up, keeps me alive, keeps me awake in so many different ways. The wonderful energy that having the 31 fruits and vegetables on a daily basis in 10 servings will do for you when you take three in three of the capsules. Balance of Nature is a true gift to the world as well. You can order yours by going to balanceofnature.com. Don't forget, put my name into the promo code when you order them, Laura, L-A-U-R-A, and you're going to get 35% off and free shipping. When we come back, Tom Rose with his brand new book, The Secret is in the Pasta. Don't go away. It's the way home.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: So my next guest is someone that has become quite a regular on my show. And I say regular because he has so many projects going on at any given time. And when I say projects, I'm not talking about just, you know, like cleaning out his uh, desk drawer and, uh, you know, organizing his closet, I'm talking projects such as uh, he does a video cooking series with his his son and his granddaughter called Cooking Together Generations. He wrote a book uh, last year, I believe it was was a year or two ago, and it was so well received. and so many people got so much out of it. Uh, speaking about his own story. Um, after his wife passed away, his beloved wife from breast cancer, he wrote this book called Balloon in a Box. And it's about how he dealt with grief. And he has not only written the book, but I've seen him all over social media. He's speaking to different audiences and people who invite him to come and and share his story because he wants to help people who are going through the same process that he went through—that grief and working through it. Now, all of a sudden, when I think that that's well, how much more can an 82-year-old accomplish in in the span of a, you know, any given day? And then he writes me and says, "Oh, by the way, did you see? I wrote a mystery novel." Tom Rose, thank you for coming back on the way home. <laughs> great, great to be with you again, Laura. <laughs> Just. I have really, you inspire me just so greatly. I, when I saw that, I said, I did a double take. I said, no, there's no way he could have already written another book. And it wasn't even kind of in the same vein as balloon in a box. It's something you've never done before. A novel at 82. Oh my gosh. The secret is in the pasta. It's a mystery and detective novel. How in the world? Thank you so much for coming on to tell us about this latest and greatest. that you have just done. Oh, thank
2: you, Laura. uh, You mentioned my book and and Losing My Wife and My Grief Journey and 82 years old and all these things going on. And uh, after I wrote the book, The Balloon in the Box, I kind of caught lightning in a bottle. I didn't expect anything to happen. And all of a sudden, people are calling me and people like you want me to be on shows. And I've done like 25 podcasts and two TV shows and 52 speeches now. Uh, And so... Uh, so it starts to make you puff up, okay? And all of a sudden, you think you're a, you think you're, a, you think you're an author, you know? Think and you're Hemingway. You're, <laughs> yeah, you think you're an author, so maybe you should write a novel. So I sat down last winter. It was crummy, rotten. You're here alone. I'm, I mean, I'm here alone. So what the heck? I took a shot at it, and uh, I got a publisher, and I sent it to them and they really liked it, and uh, so he said, "Yeah, we'll publish that." So, so they did. And uh, it's, it's a short novel. It's only 190 pages. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a quick, it's a quick, easy read. It's a, it's a simple story that gets complicated. Uh, uh-huh. Oh, Who done it? I, I had, I had so much fun writing it. Um, and Did- I've never done anything like this before. I, I wrote a play when I was in college because I was in theater arts and you had to write a play. But, uh, I didn't pay attention in English class when I was in high school or when I was in college. So uh, how I can write a book is amazing to my friends, you know. Um,
1: it, it, yeah, and well-written, too. I mean, when we're saying that you just, you know, put pen to paper, that's one thing. But another thing to have, have something actually turn out, and it's it's really good. So um, unlike, a, you know, a balloon in a, bo- balloon in a box, which was um, obviously nonfiction about your life, about your losing your wife and your grief journey— this, you know, I, I've never written a novel in my life. I can't even imagine to begin what that must be like. Because first of all, you have to have, you have to have a premise, right? That is going to be exciting enough for people to want to turn the page and find out.
2: So- you have to, you have to be a little bit weird. is what you have to be. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> you
2: have to have weird thoughts. You know.
1: Yeah. So how did you come up with, okay, so we're not, obviously we're not going to tell you who did it or what happened, but the secret is in the pasta. It's based around an Italian family with an Italian restaurant. And so what gave you this idea? Is it something that's loosely based off of something you know about, or did you completely create it from nothing?
2: I completely created it from nothing. However, I found when you write like this and you create a character, you you create characters like people you know. I mean, that's the only things you know about people are what are your friends and the people that you do know. So there are people in this book, they are my friends, they are people I know. Now you wouldn't, that, I didn't use them by name and they're not in their occupation, but their personalities are there. My personality is there. I'm sure. I know it is. I mean, there are things I thought, things you believe in. Um, it, 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 uh, what I started to do was, I, when I did it, I thought, well, where do you want? I want to keep this. This is not going to be an, a novel that's going to take place in the middle of New York City because I don't live in New York City. Um, I didn't want it to be in the Goshen, Indiana, because that's where I live. So I had to create a town like Goshen. And mm-hmm. I did. It's called Parsonsville. And I put it in Indiana because I know a lot about Indiana. And I put it just a little east of uh, Indianapolis. It's a fictional town. It doesn't exist. Uh, on the Ohio-Indiana border so that I could do some things with the, cross the line. Uh, the funny thing is uh, I outlined it. And it didn't end up going where I thought it was going to go when I started. Uh things started happening when i went along i thought oh my god like you know what if this happens well then if that happens this happens so it, it ended up to be start out the sound war be a simple maybe simple robbery in a in an italian restaurant and a man is murdered uh it ends up to be a lot more detailed than that and all of a sudden uh indianapolis is involved and chicago's involved and detroit's involved and Louisville's involved, and you know, and it grows, and then and Texas is involved, and Mexico's, involved. so it just it just grew. Isn't and, that
1: incredible? It just grew on its own. You know, I've heard people say this before when they have started writing a novel that all of a sudden it's almost as if the characters take on a life of their own, and now all of a sudden they're dictating to you what you write. You're not sitting there racking your brain. Oh, should I go this way or that way? It's almost like it. Like you said, like it takes on a life of its own. Well, the
2: other thing that happens, and I read I, I, after my wife passed away. I, I wasn't a big reader before, but I've become a reader. I've read a lot of stuff. Well, uh, I noticed that uh, you can't have just one thing going on. Uh, and the detective in this case, his name is Tony Victor. um uh, uh, Tony's got to have a personality himself and he's got to have his flaws and his problems. And so just to make him the detective to go through and, you know, work on solving a a crime, uh, that's easy. I mean, you know, you you know, get the clues and you give them to him and he solves them and says, Oh, this guy, you know, he did it. You know, Mm -hmm. the the butler, the butler did it. Uh, But then you start, I started creating uh, Tony. And, and again, I, I, Tony's not me. Tony's got, some things I believe in, some of my personalities. To- some of Tony's experiences are mine. What I did is, get going back now, I wrote the book, Balloon in a Box. I lost my wife. So I Tony lost his wife.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: now, he's much younger. Lost his wife in a total different way. It wasn't breast cancer, or anything like that. So that's one of the things he's battling while he's trying to solve a crime. And the other thing he starts to battle is he's, He's starting a relationship with a woman, a friend, a fr- a friend again, again a friend of the family, and he's struggling with that too. That is he betraying his wife when he's feel- having feelings for this lady. So those mm-hmm. three things are all going on at the same time. or something like the Grind.
1: Well, and, that's what makes it real, right? I mean, those are, yeah. those, those are things that ha- yeah, truly happen to people. Yeah. So,
2: so each one of the characters, it was easy to say, oh, this the chief of police is a certain character but then to develop him with some problems and, and make him real you know make him not just a statue or just some words or just a, a person so those are the fun things to do say okay I, I got a character now i gotta have a an assistant uh tony's got an assistant and it's a female so what's patty really like okay so, I know some people. So, Patty is a couple people that I know. She's got ter- little traits over here and some of these characteristics. Um, and Patty had to have a husband. So, what's Patty's husband like? And, you know, and so on and so on. And, uh, Tony has an office girl. Her name's Gracie. And what's Gracie like? Well, picture a, a 65, 70 year old woman that's helping a younger guy out and he's besides being Justice Secretary, she's a little bit of his mother, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of character I created with her, you know? Yeah. Uh, So those are the things that are fun as you go
1: along. And And then... Yeah, sorry, go
2: ahead. No.
1: I was going to say, how long did it take you to to write it from start to finish?
2: Uh, Six months, probably.
1: Okay, okay. Because it wasn't like something you did in two weeks or anything like that. Because this sounds sounds pretty elaborate in terms of... Layers
2: yeah, and Yeah, well, actually, probably start to finish of the story took a couple, two or three months. To fill in that story took another two or three months. I mean, you know, I, I, well, I started out, I wasn't exactly sure where it was going, you know, how it was going to end, what was going to happen. But I, as it went along, I developed it. I developed the story and then i went back and developed the characters and the situations that happened mm-hmm. uh and i don't know whether that's the way to do it or not but that's the way i did it uh, and it, yeah.
1: and it seemed to work according to your publisher he liked it he thought it was good obviously but that's what he does all day long is he yeah. reads books and sees whether or not he wants to publish them it obviously worked you know for him to take that on like that i'm i'm just amazed so it, was it something that you had always wanted to do in the back of your mind? You always had wanted to write a mystery novel, even though, like, you've been a chef on TV. You and your wife had cooking books together and a cooking TV show for years and years and years. Obviously, that doesn't feel like it has anything to do with wanting to write a mystery novel. When did that sort of kind of desire come up? Was it just recently?
2: Oh, I think I've always been a little bit creative. As well. I've gone along through my life. I've not realized it, okay? Um, well, a couple years ago, several years ago, Joyce was there. It's been about ten years ago. Uh, I wrote a mystery dinner for a friend. She she, she owned a bed and breakfast, and uh, so she said, "I want to do a mystery dinner." So we're looking at them all and, and I said She said, "Well, when you want to wait," I said, "Let's let me try something. Let me try to write it because I know the people we're going to have there, uh, and, and they're they going to be there. In fact, I'll tell you, I took the Catholic priest and made him the." sheriff and and took uh, uh took somebody else and made them the priest and you know I moved the characters around and uh uh and it was so much fun doing this a, a mystery thing dinner like that is fun because what I did was I created a character I created a murder no one knows who did the murder mm-hmm only person that knows is that is, is the person you know it, the person that did it actually did, no excuse me that did it actually so nobody else knows who that person is trying to find the, and I just I just created the character and I said okay now at the dinner this is what you have to do you have to be this person and you have to sometime in the evening you have to say these three things the rest of it's up to you play your character what well, was oh. really. It was really fun because you'd have a ball with it because it was fun. Because I took, honestly, I took a nun our nun kit was there and she was actually the murderer. She, she played the part as of my friends uh, that owned the bed and breakfast. She was her helper. She's the one that made the beds and cleaned the house and did that stuff. And she was actually the murderer. And, uh, And she played the part. She played the part. So you wouldn't have thought she was a nun. I'm telling you, the way she played the part, she just took it over. And and she was she was a real nasty lady. Let's put it that way.
1: (laughs) Oh, my word. This is so ingenious. I absolutely love it. But here's another aspect to you that I just find so fascinating. So you get these ideas, but you act upon them. You are living proof that it doesn't matter what your age is if you have the desire for something or you, or have an idea that instead of, you know, shrinking away because you say, well, I should have done that, you know, 40 years ago, or I should have done that when my wife was alive, or I'm too sad right now dealing with this, that I'm not going to do it. It sounds to me like what you, what you do is that rallies you to, it it gains momentum around your idea because you want to keep going. It's like, it's like you are destined to live a life of full of purpose and full of fun. And it's a is that a decision you think that somebody, an individual has to make? Or do you think you're just born like that, with a blueprint like that, that you're just that type of person who no matter what they go through, they're going to just continue on? Or do you think it's a conscious decision people have to make within themselves and say, look, I'm going to either live the rest of my life in this way or I'm going to live it in that way and this is the way I choose?
2: I think it's a conscious decision. And and whether whether it's a loop, whether whether I was this way all the way along, I don't know, maybe Uh, doing the speaking engagements. I know the more I do it, the more I say, man, I should have been doing this before uh, because I enjoy it. Uh, Apparently, people are getting something out of what I'm presenting. Uh, but w- w- when my wife died, and, and again I wrote the, the book, "The Balloon in a Box," and, and you go through the story of my grief and what happened to me. Um, I spent three months after her death in the in in the pits. Okay, mm-hmm. I was in terrible shape, miserable. The whole world was just black and white, and there was nothing. I mean, I didn't care about a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, something happened to me. One evening, I had like like I say, I had my epiphany. So I think that's when all this started right there. When I said, no, I am not going to sit here and pity, you know, myself. I'm not going to sit here and just waste away. Um, It's an opportunity for me to do things, maybe to do some things I've always wanted to do. I don't remember really ever wanting to write a novel. I mean, I've had ideas. When I was in theater, I had ideas about plays and stuff, maybe and uh, enjoyed that and when I did the the mystery dinner that was fun but that's not a novel. Um so I think at that point I decided, hey, I'm gonna well first of all I'm gonna we're gonna do this cookbook. We're gonna do the cookbook my wife and I are working on my son's helping my granddaughter's helping me. My granddaughter says I want to do something like you did on TV. We start doing the, the YouTube thing which is just one I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me. Uh, so like, again anyway, so we go through that And all of a sudden, this friend of mine pushes me and says, Tom, I read your journal notes. You're so sincere and so raw and opens yourself up, which apparently men don't do, I'm told. And so you've got to share this. So once I did that, then I began to say, maybe I had to share all these other wild things going on in my brain. You know, maybe if I write them down, they'll be okay. You know, Uh, so that's the whole thing. And, and, And I'm not 82. okay." That's right. Uh, my, that's what it says on my uh, driver's license. Okay, but I feel like I'm, i am feel like I'm 18 because I have—I have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, screaming, strings, you know. But uh, I don't feel like I'm 82. I feel a lot more I'm, like I'm 62 or 65 or something, you know. Oh, totally.
1: I—I uh, I mean, for now, people who can't see right now, like I can on Zoom, you are truly—and I've been in your presence. You really, your energy is—it's it, even less than sixty-two. It's—it's it's more like forty-two, and I'm not exagger—I'm <laughs> not exaggerating. And it just okay. goes to show you that really, it's—it's it's a number, and it's you either take it and say, you know, I, I'm going to let my whole life be determined by this number I am, or I'm going to forget the number and just live my life. And I think you've done the latter. I mean, you don't even look 82. You look like a young guy and and it's just and, and your energy. Oh, my goodness. You put all of us to shame. I mean, <laughs> to get done what you get done in, in any given week and, and you don't just have the ideas, but you take them all the way. So whether it's a cookbook or the TV show or speaking engagements to different groups of people, I can't believe you've done 52 speeches already. Whatever it is, you see them all the way, all the way. And I think that is a lot of us start, or we'll get the idea, and we'll even, you know, gather up some things around it. But many of us will stop before we actually complete the thing and and get to the end game. and And that's what you do with everything you do.
2: Looking back at my past, I've done that. I've stopped things that I started that I should have continued. <laughs> you know, uh, but that's yeah, that's gone. That's behind me. I'm doing these. Um, I think. I, it's a little bit uh a good heredity okay I, I inherited some stuff my father they called the energizer bunny his friends and everybody because he now he died at 89 uh he had a, a pacemaker when he was 49 and and shouldn't have lived to be 59 and he lived to be 89 mm. uh, because he didn't let that slow him down i mean he had like 12 pacemakers in his life uh and as the doctor said um uh, Back the first ones was he said he said your dad it'd last a lot longer if your dad had slowed down because he said he's kind of like a transistor a transistor radio the batteries will go quicker if you keep it on high <laughs> volumes keep it on low okay. and the doctor used to say your dad's got is on high all the time He's just burning the batteries up so maybe that's where that's maybe where it came from a little bit um, and I'm a lot like him in that way I know I, I can't sit around and do nothing uh, I've got to do something uh, and particularly since my wife died I have not watched television i don't watch television i don't you know you make so everyone- it
1: you 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 make <laughs> well, it and start it you, you don't watch
2: it well well i but every once in a while i'll be with friends in those days did you see what's so, so the political thing i said oh i don't know what you're talking about and they start i said i really don't care either I, yeah, at that weird. point in my life i've died you know uh, yeah. i do i do care but I, I don't mean that but i just i don't sit down and watch you know um maybe uh at night and then i'll watch something. Not stupid, but I'll turn the TV on to the one channel where I watch the old shows and I'll watch Hogan's Heroes or something like that before I go to bed. (laughs) You know, I'll watch some sports and I'll watch golf or watch football or baseball, but that's about it. I'm reading a lot now. Um, I'm sitting here at the computer a lot and and writing, and I'm writing some other things. Um, Are You're
1: currently writing other things now that The Secret in the Pasta is finished?
2: I've got two. Yeah, I've got the secret and the pasta sequel. If you if you get to the end of the book, you'll see I left it there that things can go on. Uh-huh. And, I, that, and that was intentional. Of uh, course, you did. Uh, so I'm just I'm thinking I'm outlining. I'm putting stuff. I'm just writing notes. No, nothing concrete. But I am working on another book like uh, Balloon in a Box. Okay. <sighs> Here's what happened. When I wrote Balloon in a Box, I had to do a lot of research on feelings and emotions and love and things like that, understand, you know. And so I got done, and what I what, what I, tell, what I teach, try to tell people when I do my presentation is I don't make grief a downer. I, don't, I hope when I leave there are people up rather than down. I don't, It's not a sad presentation. I don't go there and want everybody to cry. I want to go there and have everybody laugh and smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I tell people that grief is love and love is, you know, and so without love, there would be no grief. That's right. Uh, so I'm not on a grief journey. I'm on a love journey and it's never going to end. You know, I'm gonna I'm going to be on this for the rest of my life because I loved her, you know, and I <laughs> continue to love her. And I go, so anyway, so I'm in so as I'm doing a book and I'm going places. I, I got one. A young man read my book. His mother gave it to him, and he read it, and he told me he read it. And and I said, well, that's right. And I said, oh, you don't understand, Mr. Rose. He said, I- I'm going to be a senior in college. I have a relationship with a woman. We're thinking about getting married. I asked my mother, how would I know I was in love? And she gave me your book to read. And so I said, oh, I wrote a book on love. I thought I wrote a book on grief. But no, it's a book on love. So anyway. I've taken all the notes I've got on love, and I'm trying to put those together in a book called
1: Love. Oh. And the book is going to be called Love?
2: Well, I think. Okay. i got to pick, I got to work on the title. But I have, anyway, but, th- but that's what I'm doing with my
1: time. I, that's, I, I can't even I, – I am so inspired right now. I truly – I just <laughs> – I am inspired beyond anything. You are a grand communicator. It makes sense to me that you were in theater – Um, because you have such a beautiful way of showing up in the world. And now you're just you've got one platform after another and one series after another. And and you're good at all of it, because I think love is is undergirding every one of your efforts, whether it's the book or the TV show or the cooking or your speaking engagements. Everything is based on love. So I think if you called the the book love. I think you would probably just nail it right there.
0: <laughs>
2: okay. Well, I'm but... also, also the publisher... Uh, see, I self-published Balloon in a Box. And the, this publisher wants Balloon in a Box, and what they want is, is they want me... And, and Brock's working with me. My son, you, you know my son. He's working with me on it. And we are going through and writing Balloon in a Box, a second edition. What we're doing is we're taking as from my speeches and from the travel and from what he sees... And as understands, we're taking like a chapter. We're not changing the chat, not changing chapter one, but at the end of chapter one's an update into chapter two's an update. Oh, what, we, what a wonderful what we, idea. What we've learned and what people have told us and what things, you know, have gone on. and, and
1: Anecdotes they, like the young boy who right, he changed exactly. his life. Right. Exactly.
2: That'll be in there. So those kind of things. So that's I work on it. I guess we're working on three things, but that's kind of almost done. I mean, I'm just proofing that now. so.
1: And real quick, before we wrap up, are you still doing Cooking Together Generations with Brock and your granddaughter, or is that on hiatus while you're publishing all these many things?
2: It's been on hiatus for about six weeks because my granddaughter took over a new job and she's in fact, she's in charge of the promotions for the whole city that we live in and she's been gone. And so it's been a, and we've been, Brock and I've been going on speeches, particularly Mondays and Tuesdays are good times that used to be when we record. We're going to be recording again in two weeks. We, uh, we donated the dinner to the Kiwanis club here that somebody bought for $800. So we have to go cook it and we're going to record Um. that. We're going to record that. That's gonna be our next episode a couple weeks. When we go do that, we're just gonna record that for one of our cooking together. So
1: Well, that is so wonderful. And and I wanna tell people, even though you took a couple week hiatus or whatever, there are Many, many, um, yeah. episodes on 50 YouTube. 50 some
2: of them. 50 some. F- 50
1: some. And you, and they're, they're pithy. They're short so that you, you just get into it. You, you watch the three of them together and it's so joyful. It's, it's a really beautiful process of you guys being in your kitchen. I know because I was part of one of them. Right. <laughs> I, I was able to watch and then eat all your food. It was so delicious and. And drink our friend Regina's coffee and, right. and it was all uh, taped. Everybody can watch those videos if you go to YouTube. It's Cooking Together Generations and you'll see Tom and Brock Rose and their uh the Amanda, which is, she's she's sort of the uh the, the, the film girl and the the, she's really the kind star. Of, <laughs> she's the star. She's adorable and fabulous in every way. I want everyone to know that the secret in the pasta is out. It's a Who He's already writing a sequel to it. You're going to want to get it. And you're probably also going to want to get the version one and two of Balloon in a Box. But you can go to Tom's website. I think everything's available there, correct, Tom? Right.
2: Correct, everything's there.
1: Thomaslrose.com, L. that Tom, one?
2: ThomasLRose.com.
1: ThomasLRose.com. And L is your middle name, I'm supposing. Right. Mm-hmm. Thomas L. Rose. Dot com see everything there and uh you'll be you'll be lost in a wonderful wonderland of all sorts of creativity and inspiration from this amazing guy who is 82 going on 19 i think <laughs> uh, tom rose you're a treasure and i thank you so much you keep inspiring people keep writing keep Making things happen because when people see you do it, I think it it truly, it's like a ripple effect. You really inspire others to do the same. Thank you so much for being once again on The Way Home. Thank you, dear. Much love. ThomasLRose.com to find all of his wonderful projects. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. So many wonderful
1: people in the world doing so many wonderful things. And uh, this is a program where I really, truly love to highlight different organizations that are making a true difference in the world and it just so happens to be by someone who uh really was a pioneering radio personality, TV personality as well. Got his start on uh, some really big stations uh that uh, were sort of historic in a lot of ways and uh, but has uh, recently launched some really beautiful programs. One is called Hope, Faith, and Dreams Foundation. Hope, Faith, and Dreams Foundation. We're going to hear all about that and also the Kaleidoscope of Arts. My friend Armando Camina is here. And thank you so much for joining us on the way home, Armando.
3: Oh, wow. This is so beautiful to be on your platform today. I am so excited. When when Kenjaman uh, Franklin, our mutual friend, told me about this, I thought, wow, this is going to be so good.
1: Yes. Well, he had one day... We sat on the phone. He, for people to know, he's a talent booker at this moment, but it's one of the many things he does. And so he brings me really amazing guests for the program. And it's because he has such a knowledge of radio, because he regaled me one afternoon for about an hour or so. All about his start in radio in this iconic station and it was such a great story it almost sounded like a movie could be made from it and then he told me about you and so that's how it all started that you came on the show but he was uh, he told me about this this radio station and this was was this it back in the 80s I think
3: well actually the radio station KNCN C 101 uh, came on the air in August, August the tenth of nineteen seventy six at nine p.m. in the evening.
1: Oh, even further back, I love yeah. it. And so, yeah. So, what was the premise of of, of the station? And it, you know, it became a, a huge powerhouse signal. And now it's an iHeart station, not the same format, of course, and stuff. But tell me what it was that that uh, launched this and made it so unique.
3: Well, I'll tell you what, it was uh, it was owned by a gentleman by the name of Bruce Beverly Baxter III. He came from the King family, which is one of the richest family in the world. Uh, so he was, uh, he grew up, uh, his uh, young adult years were spent in San Francisco and during the hippie era. And he fell in love with KSAN Radio, which was a freeform station. And when he came back to Texas, Corpus Christi, uh, he wanted to buy a radio station and and have it reflect K San's uh, freeform format. Uh, there was a hundred thousand watt station signal just waiting to be bought. He bought it. He turned it into C one hundred one. The station still is around today. It still has a rock format, not like when it started, but it still is in the rock realm. But it's uh, it's, uh, it's a legendary station in Texas. And Kenjamin and I both worked there at the same time. He was there a year. I stayed there eight years. Uh, he he came back to – he went back to his home in New York City to start his business but, uh, that's how we, that's how we met. And, uh, it, it's been a fun, fun ride uh, since that day that we went on the air to where we are now. So that's incredible.
1: Just- yeah. It was, it was what you called like, uh, freeform album rock, right? Uh, So, where, where, and when you say freeform, I mean, I'm trying to think back in the days of what, what it was like back then where you, you could play Stairway to Heaven or Ennegada de and it'd be like (laughs) 12 minutes long, the song, and it would just, you'd you'd play the whole thing.
3: (laughs) Well, we, uh, it was theater of the mind. Each DJ had the opportunity to create a sound uh, for their, for their radio program. And uh, we took advantage of it. It, it. That's what made it so cool to work there, and we were the envy of all the other DJs in the city because uh, we had a lot of freedom to uh, to do what we wanted to do, as long as we stayed within the the, the realm of rock music and and it, some of its genres. Uh, we were okay, and and people loved it. And, and
1: yeah, <laughs> and you know what I miss about it and what I, how why I got into radio way back when is because during that time. It, a lot of the DJs, they would pick their own music. It wasn't, I mean, it's very different now. I mean, you've got, you know, corporate researchers that do, you know, all the different research on the songs and how many, how often they're supposed to be played per hour and things like this. It has nothing to do with the person who's actually talking on the radio. It's all sort of formatted and picked for you. But back then... You know the DJs were were really breaking new songs and new music and uh, kind of just doing their own thing. And I, I, for me, it made the most exciting radio of our time. But um, that's great. So you you had your start in that, but now, flash forward, decades, decades and decades, and you still are a young guy uh, doing some really amazing, beautiful things. And I want to hear about your nonprofit, Hope, Faith, and
3: Dreams. Well, Hope, Faith, and Dreams Foundation. Uh, Came to me in a uh, divine moment on on uh, January first, two thousand and, and two. Two thousand and two. Um, I, I went out to my balcony that uh, New Year's Day morning, and I just and I was in at the at that moment in time. I was involved with broadcast sales and the competition and the, and the pressure of broadcast sales. And I was getting I was, I'd been in it about seven years, and I was starting to get tired of it. So I, I went outside and I, with my cup of coffee, I looked up to the sky and I said, uh, "I, what do you want me to do? Because I don't know what I want to do. And quickly I got an answer. And the answer was start a nonprofit, name it. Oh, faith, and dreams. And that's where it ended. I didn't go any further than that, except I just got this information. Two months later, I'm sitting in a coffee house with a client discussing their next uh, advertising plan. And this attorney walks in, who I don't know, but his name is Greg Perks. And Greg was introduced to me. Uh, and as we shook hands, he said, "Without," he didn't say hello. He said, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And I said, I I said, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to call it Hope, Faith, and Dreams, and it's and I want to work with youth through the arts. And and I hadn't really thought about it that much, but that moment in time, all that came into my head. He said, oh I, I I he said, uh uh I incorporate three nonprofits per year pro bono. Here's my card. I've done two, maybe you can be the third. <gasps> so, uh-huh. so that 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 conversation when I left that at that the cafe where I was at, I said, what just happened? But what happened was it, it led me on this journey that, uh, that the idea came to me in 2002. I pursued it, went to the IRS. That took me two years. So 2004 is when I officially became, uh, a nonprofit. And when we officially became a nonprofit, our, our mission and goal was to go out and work with youth. Uh, through the creative arts uh mentorship multimedia lit- literacy uh communication uh research reading writing all these basic things some of them are basic the reading and the writing communication all that and and and, and melt it into other areas multimedia areas to uplift and to and to bring some hope to people and to kids so that they can go out and become good communicators because right now we need good communicators.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I absolutely and I love how you you asked and you shall receive. Uh, you know, that is a perfect example of where you truly asked, wanting to know an answer it came to you in that beautiful divine uh, inspired way and 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 something so beautiful was born out of it. And working with youth, are you working with a particular demographic of youth? Is it kids in a certain area or can it be for anybody and it does it reach outside of texas is it like a blueprint for things you could do everywhere um who are you targeting and getting you say the youth uh, what age
3: group you know we i've worked with uh six-year-olds uh all the way up to uh which i'm currently working on now up to 20 year olds Everyone has that childlike quality in them, no matter what age they are. And within that childlike quality, I think there's an opportunity to learn. And so I just want to tap into that to everyone's childlike quality to learn. Uh, and no matter what age you are. That's fantastic. And
1: you know what I love also? And this is something that I see is so crucial. And yet it seems like more and more schools, like the first programs that seem to be cut are are the arts programs are the um, you know things that that truly help to inspire creativity in children. I think they're so crucial to learning, and yet those usually are the ones that are cut first. And I you know when I started uh, in the ninth grade, I got involved in theater and photography, and it changed my life forever. Probably, uh, truly. It it did. It changed my life forever. I ended up going to college and studying theater, conservatory theater and doing all these things in the arts. And and I have to say, I just felt so grateful about that because I see so much emphasis, especially here. I I went to high school in South America at an international school. And um, so arts was really a big deal there. So everything from music, like I said, to theater and and everything else. Um, But a lot of what I saw was going on with my friends in the States was there's a lot of sports. I mean, schools are full of sports teams, and I think that's awesome because I think that's really important too. But I would love to see a better balance with these young people to be able to explore their creativity. Yes, it's great to be in volleyball and soccer, baseball, football, all those things, but wouldn't it also be nice to see them maybe on a debate team, maybe – learning how to you know sew or paint or you know art history i just i just love this so the fact that this came to you i think it's because there's such a great need for it hope faith and dreams and it also um sort of birthed another idea right the kaleidoscope of arts tell us a little bit about that cuz something has been birthed as a result of that some documentary
3: well it's a uh, kaleidoscope of arts program came to me when I was in San Francisco, I was taking a walkabout in San Francisco because it's a, it's a city where uh, I get a lot of good ideas. So I traveled there about two times a year to, and I call it my muse. But I was walking down this one street and all of a sudden this idea came to my head. It was it's just like, it was just grabbed me so much, I had to sit down and write it out. So what we have done is that we come when I came back to San Antonio. I started putting the pieces together for the Kaleidoscope of Arts. It's a mentor program. We recruit and we collaborated uh, with uh, San Antonio, Texas, Texas A and M University, San Antonio, and Southwest Preparatory High School uh, for this program. Uh, Southwest Preparatory High School pr- provides the, the the multimedia aspect of the program. Texas A and M San Antonio provided the mentees for the program. Uh, from this, we went out and recor- uh, we we uh, recruited eleven diverse community leaders of San Antonio. Uh, they each have they're entrepreneurs. They're in law enforcement. They are in the public eye. They're entrepreneurs uh so, and we matched them up to the student as as close as we could get to their career choice, so they would be talking with someone that has a had an idea about their career choice uh and and we did very well with that matchups so it worked out very very well but the uh the way the program works is that the mentee meets with their mentor three times. The first two times is through Zoom to get to know each other. And, and the third time is a on-camera interview, which Southwest Preparatory conducted for us, um, and between the mentee and the mentor. And from those three visits, uh, they, uh, the mentee is going to write a 500 word essay about their experience with their mentor. And the essay is going to be published in a book called San Antonio Inspires. And the beauty of this book, the beauty of this book, is not only the stories are going to be uh, inspiring, but the beauty of this book is the fact that this is a student-driven publication. The the stories are written by the by the students. Two of the mentees, uh, Oliver and Nathaniel, are are designing and illustrating the book. So when you see it, when you look at it, it it's it, you're going to see what what San Antonio can be, the youth of San Antonio, and then the leaders of San Antonio.
1: Armando Camina has truly uh, birthed some wonderful organizations for kids, all born out of his desire to know what his place was in the world, and he's changing it now for youth. And uh, to find out more, what's the best website they can go to to find out what you do and about um, your beautiful organization?
3: Well, thank you. Uh, they can <clears throat> travel to HopeFaithDreams.org, and on this website, you'll find information about, uh, about what we believe in, what where we want to go, and about the Kaleidoscope of Arts. On page two, you'll find our creative team. Uh, and on page three, uh, you'll find some children's videos that we've also produced. I also like to write children's stories. So there's three videos, short videos, like seven minutes long. They each have a, uh, a moral message, values, uh, just simple, basic stuff that we all need to either learn or be reminded of. So uh, if you can, check it out. Hopefaithdreams, uh, dot org. Wonderful.
1: HopeFaithDreams.org really inspirational. I love what you're doing. Armando Camina, thank you so much uh, for changing the world in this way and bringing it uh, to the world. Thank you.
3: Thank you. I, I appreciate uh, you and your team. And thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Have have a blessed day. And uh, for more, again, HopeFaithDreams.org. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: Well, as if there wasn't enough good news with having on Tom Rose and Armando Camina, let's turn to the guy who does it every week for us here, the guru of good news, Jim Cleefield. Hi, Jimmy. What do you have?
0: Well, remember that story that you and Jay-Z had in the year? And I was listening one morning. This is that wonderful kid out of Warren, Michigan, the seventh grader named Dylan Reeves. He was the kid who saved that school bus from crashing, you may recall. And I was listening to that story. I was just I was just amazed at what he did. I'll tell you the story. The bus driver, whose name has not been released, he was bringing some kids home from Carter Middle School late last month one day. All of a sudden, he started to feel some dizziness, some lightheadedness. He started to pass out. All of a sudden, Dylan was seated a few rows back. Sprung into action, took off his backpack, took a hold of that steering wheel, told somebody to call 911, and he was able to bring that school bus to a complete stop. This is a seventh grader. He's just, he's one of those kids that's mature beyond his years. Well, in the end, the driver had to be taken to the hospital for observation. Hopefully, he is doing much better. The, everybody was safe. There were no injuries whatsoever. He saved that school bus and everybody from the city councilman in Warren, Michigan, to his parents, who they call him our little hero. They are so proud of Dylan for what he did. He saved not only the bus driver, but the lives of his fellow students from Carter Middle School on that bus. That was just a wonderful story. I needed to mention that.
1: I can't even imagine, at you know, as a grown adult, thinking that quickly and actually knowing how with with somebody who's passed out at the wheel and getting in there to be able to steer this mammoth vehicle and get your foot on the brake. I mean, what an amazing story. He is a hero. He really boy, is. boy, if he's like that in the seventh grade, imagine what he's going to be like as an adult. Absolutely. Amazing.
0: Absolutely. And then, did you know, by the way, it's prom season already? I can't believe how quick this year is going. But yes, it's true. But what makes this story special at North Carolina, LJ, is that there was a group of teens at Washington High School that are getting this blessed opportunity to experience something. I mean, every senior should get an opportunity to have a chance to go to the prom, no matter who you are. Well, these are, this is not just an ordinary group of teens. These are special needs teens at this school. And a parent wrote on Facebook, you know, this would be a great idea if we can get this group to this prom at a local country club. Will they raise some money with the Community. I don't know exactly how many teens were a part of this, but they uh, they got the opportunity and the money they raised. They helped with the attire, the dinner, the transportation, the, ent- the whole nine yards. And you can imagine the smiles on their faces, not just the parents knowing that this has happened. I mean, Pam Smith, one of the proud parents, says, I mean, she's just blessed beyond belief. She's proud of her son. Ebony Sneed, another parent, said to her son, look, you know, as I said, you're just like anybody else you should not be excluded you go and enjoy this and boy did they ever i can't imagine what the scene must have been like but just the fact the community came together and when they went to the country club the entire community rallied with signs and sparklers and everything else really just making them feel like a million bucks and i think it's just such a wonderful thing because like i said no matter who you are everybody should get a chance to experience this problem and for these teens, good for them they must have been just absolutely thrilled i hope they got dates and they just had the time of their lives
1: oh well you just made me feel i thought i felt good after interviewing tom and armando but you know what you as you always do you just made it 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 took it to another level altogether and i thank you for that i love these stories they bring me so much joy and they really really bring you hope for humanity for our world to continue on because there's so much good the divine in everyone, and it's really incredible. Thank you so much, Jimmy D, for being the best, best guru of good news. And
0: you're the best host. The hostess with the most is, as I call you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. And Bob, can't leave him out. He's the producer with uh, Behind the Scenes, but uh, we we never give him a chance to even say a word or two. Take a a bow, Bob. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. Yes, thank you very much. All right. See? See what I mean? We don't give him much time. But on that note, we love him. And uh, for all of you, we love you, too. Thank you so much for joining us on the program, as you do every week here on The Way Home. I'm Laura Smith.